Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week, another Thanksgiving in the books as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 36. At the top of the show, as always, we've got Chalk Talk, where Greg Cosell and I are going to look back. It's going to be a tough look back at Thursday's loss to Detroit before looking forward to the New England Patriots, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and everything the Patriots have to offer. Next up, we've got Two Technique, where former NFL corner and Super Bowl winning head coach Tony Dunn on the Tampa 2 and how to play it from the cornerback position. So really, really really interesting conversation there with Coach Dungy. And then we're going to wrap it up with Saturday Scouting. NFL Draft Insider Tony Pauline is going to join to talk about the latest buzz around the NFL Draft. But before we get into all that, it's time to welcome in my favorite guy in the room, the man with a plan, my esteemed producer, BT. What's up, Brian? What's up, sir? How are you? Wonderful, wonderful. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. I was in Detroit, so... uh, Of course. It was uh, it was nice. I got to see a couple friends while I was out there, and uh, we spent some time with the uh, with the crew. So it was a good Thanksgiving, other than obviously the game. But uh, we're, we're looking forward to uh, to getting to win. I'm going back to my old stopping grounds up in up in New England. So that's right. Excited. I'll be going with you. I'm excited. That's good. It's our, our, our this is our second trip since Buffalo. This we, is our we, yeah. We, Fran and I did a uh, we did sideline sound where uh, I was I was booming the audio behind the bench, and Fran was shooting and. Uh, it was in. We were in Buffalo. It was a great. It was actually. I remember it was a, a warm day in November, and I was like, "This is awesome." So you can sum that game up in two words. He jumped. He, uh, that was that was Jaquay Parker was when Jaquay he. Jaquay Parker. Yeah. That was that was a great game. Actually, they got. It was. It was. Uh, they have a great atmosphere there. Oh, uh, it's a great. Hey, and I love Buffalo. It's, it's, it's great city. People always say, "What's your favorite? You know, your favorite. Your you know, city and sure. then your favorite uh, stadium." By far, I say Buffalo because it's got a college atmosphere, but it's got the pro, you know, got the pro energy. Yeah, the fans so are right on top. Of it it. Was, it's a cool stadium. And when they're winning, I can tell it's just everybody's feeding off each other. So no it's, 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 it's cool. But I'm excited to go up to the New England and try to get a W. No question. Well, uh, I feel the need. I have to let you know. My wife and I enjoyed dinner on on you on uh, on Saturday. We had uh, a beautiful dinner before we went and saw uh, before we saw a show Saturday night. Uh, a gift card that you supplied us for our wedding. A few ah, ago, so I'm glad. Thank you once again. You enjoyed for, it at a very nice restaurant, <laughs> that, from yes, what I understand. It was, it was very well done. So, uh, good C- stuff from BT. Congratulations. Thank sir. you. All right, so let's get this party started. Uh, Greg Cosell and I, we're going to get into this Detroit Lions game and then also look forward to the New England Patriots and everything that they do on both sides of the ball. Let's get Greg Cosell in here for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Join me once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast on Chalk Talk, NFL Films Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Uh, Greg, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Good to have you back here in NovaCare. You know, I did. Uh, obviously, it was not a good Thanksgiving for our Eagles, but uh, I was able, you know, after the game to at least be with family, So, uh, which is not normally what happens on a Thursday during the NFL sure. season. No, no question about it. So. Uh, good to be back here at NovaCare. Good to be back talking to all of you out there. Uh, obviously, a tough loss to break down. Lots of different issues have come up from this game. But one thing I definitely wanted to ask you about, and we really, look, we, we both can acknowledge, we've both talked about it in other venues, that this was not a good performance for the Eagles in a lot of different ways. But I think one of the big questions coming out of this game that a lot of fans want to know about, Eric Rowe. 
and the rookie second round pick. How did he perform? Why was he, you know, quote unquote, left on an island against Calvin Johnson? When in fact, first of all, he wasn't left on an island against Calvin Johnson. A lot of times he did have help, and that help was pulled away for one reason or another, uh, was pulled away from him. But overall, what did you think about uh, his performance? Well, I think there's perception in reality. I think the perception, of course, is that he got toasted. And I don't think that's the reality after watching the tape. In fact, I thought he actually handled himself pretty well overall. Uh, The two touchdowns that I'm sure people thought were his fault, uh, the first one was not really his fault. In fact, he played, and this was the one right at the end of the half, I think with 10 or 11 seconds in, in the half, he actually played that particular coverage really well. He was on the inside hip pocket of Calvin Johnson, clearly expecting help from Walter Thurman over the top. And Thurman actually was the one who did not execute his responsibility the way it was supposed to be executed. And then the second touchdown, he actually had really good coverage. Uh, that was just a great throw at a corner who's six, and, a, and a receiver who's 6'5", going up and getting the ball. Now, there were other plays throughout the game, obviously, and I thought for the most part, given the circumstance he was put into due to Nolan Carroll's injury, I thought Franny actually handled himself pretty well. I, I thought the same thing. And you go back, and I just think after the game, and I, I watched the film Friday morning, and I saw some of the reactions you know, around the country because obviously it was a nationally televised game, yep. so everybody had their two cents on, on the game and how Eric Rode played and you know the performance against Megatron. A lot of people said, oh, He's clearly not an NFL corner, and it's like I just throw my right, hands up. Right, it's like, come right. on, like, are, 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 well, that's seriously? why you have to watch the tape and you have to study the tape, and and whether he's an NFL corner or not remains to be seen. But that game does not prove that he's not an NFL corner. Sure, and in fact, he went up against a pretty pretty good receiver, and for the most part, for the most part, he was not overmatched. No, I didn't. I didn't think so at all. So. Uh, some plays, some definitely some learning points for Eric Rowe uh, throughout the game. I thought, and I, I actually put this out there. I thought his worst play was his first play, the quick slant and gave up Correct. the Baldwin. Correct, was caught in his yep. heels and against the quick slant. Yeah, um, you know, But overall, excited to see him over the next five games and see how he performs as the starting right corner uh, in this defense. Will be fun to watch. But uh, he's got a stiff test coming up here uh, Sunday against the New England Patriots, and uh, this offense is just. I know you enjoy watching it each and every week. I do. Not a, not a ton of. Uh, team speed, especially right now with all the injuries, it seems like and it's it's been tough for the two of us really trying to come up with different segments, different things to write about and, and produce in terms of video pieces, because all of their playmakers that have made plays for them throughout the season are no longer in the lineup. You talk about Julian Edelman, you talk about Gronk, uh, Amendola, Deion Lewis has made a lot of plays early in the season. A lot of those guys are not in the lineup right now. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting for the Patriots because. They're, they're an offense right now that's truly lacking weapons. I, last week when they lost to Denver for the first time this season, they played uh, Keyshawn Martin and obviously Brandon LaFell at wide receiver. Martin played literally the whole game and was targeted one time. On a, you know, And Brady, I think, dropped back 45, 46 times in the game, which is pretty telling because Martin was, he, he was a starter and, as I said, literally played the entire game. Now, they only lined up with three wide receivers on about four or five snaps the entire game. They essentially played with two tight ends. We'll see what happens if Gronk does not go, and my guess is he won't. There were snaps where they had Brandon Bolden and James White in the game together. That You could see a lot more of that this week. But I will say this. No matter who the Patriots line up, the one thing that they do, to me, 
better than any team in the league, they're the most diverse in the league at doing this, is line up all five eligibles all over the formation. It doesn't matter whether they're wide receivers, tight ends, backs. They line up all over. Scott Chandler lines up you know, as, as a split wide receiver, as the single receiver to the boundary. Uh, they'll do that with backs. They'll line up Brandon Bolden out wide, as they did a number of weeks ago when he caught a touchdown against the Redskins. Uh, they line up their receivers all over the formation. And it, as I said, it doesn't matter their position. And you have to be prepared to defend that. Now, what kind of stress does that put on a defense? What, if, you're, if you're Bill Davis right now, how are you preparing for that, knowing that that's what they like to do? Well, you have to decide, number one, if you want to play man to that. And then if Scott Chandler is split wide as a 6'7", 265, 270-pound tight end, who goes out and plays him? Because if you're going to put a linebacker out there, linebackers are not used to playing in space like that. And that's a problem. Same with if it's Brandon Bolden out there in an empty set. And the Patriots use more empty sets than any team in the NFL. Uh, so as a defensive coordinator, you have to decide how do you want to play that? Do you want to potentially put players in positions where they are not real comfortable? Or do you play a little more zone? Figuring that, hey, now my corners are out there, even though wide receivers may be lined up inside, I'm playing zone, so at least if they catch the ball, I have people there to tackle them. So you have to decide what kind of stress you want to put on individuals within your defense. And that's what makes it especially tough, too. Is It's not like they're lining up in 11 personnel and they're right. flexing Scott Chandler out, where you may have five DBs or six DBs on the field. They'll come out in 21, in 12, 12 in 13 personnel at times, where they're going to come out with a big package, forced, almost forcing you to play in base because they'll come out yep. and line up in a, in a tight formation. And then right before the snap, I've seen them do this multiple times in the red zone over the past few weeks. They'll come out and they'll flex out three different guys wide, yeah. and now they're spreading. And two of the them are tight out. ends, exactly right. Right, and, right. And, you know, and they'll run some kind of rub concept. That Scott Chandler had a touchdown earlier in the season on a play like that. Yep. They might throw a fade. I mean, they do different things to try and see if they can create favorable matchups for their personnel, even though their personnel right now are what you would call world beaters. Yeah, and and that's where you know the Eagles going into this game, having obviously played poorly over the last three games for the most part. Uh, may have an advantage. This may be a team, and we know Tom Brady's a great player. That's not the issue here. But he still needs people to throw to. Uh, I guess Amendola may go. We won't know that till later in the week, obviously. Uh, but if Amendola can't go, then you're dealing with LaFell and Martin as the wideouts. You're probably, you know, obviously it's Chandler, the third tight end. I mean, they used Asante Cleveland on a number of snaps this week. Yeah. And he's got some athleticism to him, but he's obviously not a guy who's been there and played a lot. Uh, so that's one area where you might say that the Eagles can at least match up and play. They did sign Damaris Johnson just a couple hours yep. ago uh, to play in the slot. So we'll see uh, if we see any of the former Eagle uh, on Sunday. It'll just be interesting. I'm, I'm interested to see how the Eagles decide to try and match up. And then also, if they do try and ma match up man-to-man, -man, if they feel comfortable with their matchups one-on-one, Will we see more pressures? Because we saw a ton of blitzing from Bill Davis uh, against the Detroit Lions on Thursday. They sent the house a number of different times yep. in a lot of different fashions that we're not used to necessarily seeing very often from Bill Davis. Uh, we saw some triple-A gap blitzes. Well, he's we trying saw, to find a way. They're trying to find a way to get a pressure because yeah. right now they're not getting a great four-man rush is, is the issue. Uh, normally, that would be a huge issue coming into face the Patriots with, with people like Gronk and Edelman where you have to uh, you know, give your defender some help. 
Now in a situation like this, we'll see how much more pressure he's able to send. Well, and the issue is that Brady gets rid of the ball so quickly. But yeah. if you feel you can play press man and disrupt routes at the line of scrimmage, and again, you're, you'd be playing press man not against high-level wideouts, theoretically, then maybe you do that. But a lot of people don't really blitz Brady an awful lot because the ball's out so fast that you end up wasting defenders. The blitzers become wasted players because they don't get there. A lot, of, a lot of different combinations up front for this offensive line. Yes. I think I, I read there was 25 going into this game I think game more than Denver. any team in the NFL. It's unbelievable. And a lot of young guys, you know, Shaq Mason, a rookie. Trey Jackson has seen a lot of snaps as a rookie. Uh, they've been rotating a lot of, you know, David Andrews is a young guy. Marcus Cannon's a pretty young guy. Cam Fleming is a young guy. So a lot of young players you know, along this offensive front. You bring up a great point, though. And, and you and I have discussed this point. Brady camouflages and compensates for weaknesses in an all-line. Yep. Great quarterbacks do that. As soon as you hear a team's, fans of a team say, oh, well, they have a bad offensive line, what that really means is the quarterback is not really in a position to be good enough to compensate for it because the really high-level quarterbacks, and I don't use the term high-level loosely, there's not 15 of those guys, but high, higher-level quarterbacks camouflage and compensate for weaknesses on an O-line because they understand the protections, they understand where the quick throws are, the ball comes out. They do such a good job, and, and Brady is at the forefront of this, you know, where they, they game plan week to week, and I think that's such yes. a fascinating thing, and you see so many different, uh, you know, I don't want to say gadget. I, I almost want to say we say it about Rex Ryan often with blitzes, and we say they're designer blitzes. Yes. So many designer plays Correct. from this team where you see, you, you'll see it one time and you'll, you'll never see it again the rest of the season. Well, if, if this is a week where, and, and this is what tape study is, you see things on tape and you try to take advantage. This is a week where Michael Kendricks, needs to do his homework because last week he was attacked by the Lions, uh, Theo Riddick. That's on tape, so everybody sees it. So that's something that needs to be addressed, and and whether he's going to play man-to-man on uh, the back, which he did a lot last week, and I think they like that. That's something that he's going to have to deal with this week. Yeah, and it'll be interesting because the Eagles have had a couple extra days uh, to look at the tape, to self-scout a little bit. Uh, I'll be interested to see now the Eagles when they look at it internally, when they self-scout and they try and guess, okay, then you do this every week anyway, you're trying to guess how is the opposing team going to try and play us? How do we then counteract what we think that they're going Correct. to do in every given situation? And the problem with the Patriots, and, and we have this problem whenever we do the Patriots in the NFL matchup show, is you never know what the Patriots are no. going to do. So it, it's it, it's almost impossible. Uh, I may have told you this story, but I, a number of summers ago for a, a Greatest Games project I worked on in the summer for NFL Films, I got to interview Troy Brown. And I interviewed a bunch of Patriots, but we just started shooting the breeze, I think, after the interview. And he said that Bill Belichick would literally come in on Monday morning and tear up everything about the game plan from the game the day before and start over as if, there was no past, as if now everything was brand new. And, and that's the way the, the Patriots approach things. They, they, does, do every team have staples to some degree? Yes, they do. But Belichick literally starts over every week. It's, it seems like a long time ago that 
the Patriots had that awful loss against uh, Kansas City. Oh, you mean prime last year? Time last year. Oh, yeah. Uh, and everyone thought Brady was done. It was yep. you know maybe we'll tie. It's How time many to games see have they lost since that one? I mean, what? Maybe two. Uh, yeah, I was going to say two or three. <laughs> yeah. uh, everyone thought at that point, oh, maybe it's time to see a little bit of the rookie Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, you know, and, and obviously they've gone on. They went to win the Super Bowl. They've had a great season so far this year. Do you? How much do you relish getting a chance to continue to watch? Because there's not many of these no. great quarterbacks playing right now where you say, man, like this guy's an all-timer. How much do you relish getting a chance to watch him each and every week? You know, you start – not you start. You take it for granted because when you watch high-level and, – and I try to explain this to people when they start bringing up names of other quarterbacks who are nice players but they're not Tom Brady's, is – it. There's so many subtleties, Fran, and you know this, that go into making guys great quarterbacks. And, and as I said a moment ago about high level, I don't use the word great loosely, that you start to take it for granted watching him. I mean, he, he missed one throw this week to Gronk, I think, in the fourth quarter where he threw it a little bit behind him. You, you might remember that play. Yep. yep. And, and you kind of stop for a second and go, well, he missed a throw. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just it doesn't really happen. The, the, the timing's of the throw is is usually right there. The the ball placement is precise. He controls the game at the line of scrimmage when necessary. You know, and and Tom Brady to me there may be no better example of the importance of mechanics and repetitive mechanics than Tom Brady. And so many quarterbacks and even quarterback coaches, I don't know how much they work on that. That is absolutely critical. So explain what do you mean by repetitive mechanics? His drop, his footwork, his ball position, his stride, all the things that go into the actual delivering of a football. And that has to be the same every time. It's like a golf swing. Correct. Or a baseball pitcher. Sure. Imagine a baseball pitcher throwing the ball differently every throw. Right. You know, unless you truly can't make a throw due to pressure, and I'm talking about real pressure, not perceived then you should be throwing the ball the same way every time. You know, with Brady, no one says, oh, he has, he has the ability to throw from different arm angles. Well, that's irrelevant with Brady because he's so good and so you know, precise in everything he does and so compact in everything he does that he literally throws the ball the same way every time. Yeah, I, I think – and one thing I can think of, there's a play – uh, from earlier this season, I'm trying to remember who was on the receiving end. It might it might have been Chandler uh, on a on a little dig route down in the red zone, where obviously everything moves faster. And there was a play where they, I think it was against the Jets, where they had Bolden flexed out wide, and they brought him they brought him in back into the backfield, and their linebacker came with him, so he immediately read man coverage, drops back, looks to the right, and he had some kind of three man concept to the right immediately turned inside and pulled the trigger on a touch. I, it, it was either right. Scott Chandler or Julian Edelman. I'm trying to remember exactly who it was over the middle of the field. Ended up going for a touchdown. It was a great play. Just how quickly he sees things, and you can just know everything that he's doing, there's a purpose behind it. Right, and, and, and you know, it's funny. I, I know that different people have different personalities, and some people are, quote-unquote, leaders more than others. We know that as, as sort of a reality. Sure. But at the end of the day... I always look at, at the quarterback position, as it is with probably most anything. Everything eventually gets manifested on the field in performance. You don't make a big-time throw on third down 
in the fourth quarter of a tight game because you're good in the huddle or because you take your offensive lineman out to dinner on Thursday night. That's not why you make those throws. Right. I mean, that's nice that you do that, and they might really like you, but that's not why you make the throws. You know, you know what I'm saying? You right. make the throws because of all the subtleties and little disciplines that go into playing the position so that no moment is bigger than any other moment. You know, I remember in baseball, they always used to say Derek Jeter was a really clutch player. And somebody had done all this work. I, I, I obviously, I'm a baseball fan, but I don't do this kind of work, obviously. And someone had done a study that basically said that in innings one through three, Derek Jeter does exactly the same things as he does in innings seven through nine. It's just that seven through nine are closer to the end of a game, so they, they get attached the word clutch to it. Sure. Brady's probably the same way. I mean, I haven't done these studies either, but he probably plays the same way all game. Yeah. You know, and so when you get to the fourth quarter, he just does what he did in the first quarter. It's just closer to the end of the game, and everybody says, oh, he's clutch. But That's he's playing the same way all the time. It's that it factor. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that could be it. That could, it could be, be the it factor. That could be the yeah. it factor yeah. that yeah. everyone the it wants factor. to talk about. Um, they, I mean, obviously, Tom Brady, just an all-timer. Uh, excited to see him in person. Actually, this will be the first time I've gotten to see him play in person. Uh, I'll be up at the game on Sunday. So, uh, look, ho- hoping, look, it's well, going to be an interesting matchup, that Eagles off, or the Eagles defense against this Patriots The other side's interesting, too. No question. So, let, let's get into that. Because yeah. you look at this Patriots defense, and you talk about offensively all the different formations, all the different looks and different packages – and you almost can say the same thing about this defense because up front, lots of interchangeable parts and they move guys up. That's and down the where formation. they're they're really difficult. Yeah. On the back end, they play a ton of man. Yep. And they they do some matchups. Bill Belichick does some matchups that are counterintuitive. I mean, I've seen him match up <laughs> yeah. Patrick Chung on T. Y. Hilton. Right. You know, I mean he does things if you said going into a game, you'd say, Oh, you can't do that. He does those kinds of things. Right. Uh, and and they'll play they probably play 80% man. Malcolm Butler has turned into a really good corner. Uh, depending on the opponent, he either matches up to a team's number one or he'll match up to the number two, and they'll play the number one with help all the time. Right. So it depends on the opponent. Um, I don't know. You know, My guess is with the Eagles, I, I, they, they, they don't have a true number one, so it's hard to say who Butler will match up to. It would not surprise me if Logan Ryan – who has played both slot and outside, were to match up in this game to Jordan Matthews because Ryan has some size and bulk to him. Sure, yeah, absolutely. That would make a lot of sense. And then uh, when the Eagles do go 12 personnel, I'll be interested to see how they decide to deploy those players too because yeah. a lot of, you see a lot of nickel, you see a lot of dime, a lot of dollar defense too with seven defensive backs on the field. I mean, they really mix and match some different things. And, you know, sometimes they match uh, McCourty, Devin McCourty, oh, yeah. on the tight end, no man-to-man. Yep. Saw that this week against he, Denver. Yeah, and that's not the first time. Right. Yeah. And, and he's came into the league as a corner, so right. he's got corner skill. Sure. The front seven, aggressive when they want to be. Yeah. And we saw a lot of uh, delayed blitzes uh, this past week against Denver. Yeah. But you look at just the different ways that they align these front players. And, you know, you can go up and down the line. You've got Ninkovich, Allen Branch, and Malcolm Brown inside were very disruptive, especially early in this game uh, for the, against the Denver Broncos. Uh, Chandler Jones has been, you know, very, very effective this Jabal year. Sheard's become Jabal a movable Sheard, chess piece. Uh, no question. Always could rush the quarterback. Yeah. They, you see him lined up uh, inside. You see him lined up outside. 
two-point, three-point stance. They do all kinds of different things with him. Dominique Easley is a, is a disruptive he's, he's player. He's quick. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's the thing is that you have all these guys. Akeem Hicks is a guy that you know they can do different things with. They just put uh, uh, Trey Flowers, the rookie from Arkansas, on injured reserve this, uh, just t- earlier today. But a bunch of guys that they can do so many different things with up and down the line, and they line them up in so many different ways. And it's interesting – we had Bill Davis in the studio a couple weeks ago, and he said that the Eagles try and do those similar type things, and they, we saw it this past week against Detroit, where they're moving different players all around the right, formation right. with the idea that that prevents offenses, uh, offensive lines from just trying to practice and trying to master one guy's technique. So if you're right. on the left tackle, you don't have to just worry about the right end. You have to worry about, oh, well, uh, if you're the Eagles, you, know, you have to worry about, okay, if you're, if you're Jason Peters, you have to worry about Chandler Jones. You have to worry about Jamie Collins. You have to worry about uh, Rob Ninkovich. You have to worry about Sheard. You have to worry about Hicks. Right. All these different players uh, could potentially be matched up on you uh, one-on-one. So it's a very disruptive defense. And Collins is uh, due to be back this yeah. week, and, and he may be the most athletic linebacker in the NFL. His Freak combination show. of size and movement is, is as good as there is in the league. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. So uh, it looks like Hightower will be out. Uh, what, what have you seen in terms of impact on this defense? He seems to have turned into a really nice Hightower, player. Yeah. Well, when healthy, I think you can make the argument that Hightower and Collins, you know, obviously you've got Keekley and Davis in Carolina. Right. But I think when they play nickel, you could argue that Hightower and Collins are a really high-level nickel linebacking duo. One guy that stood out to me this week, because the first game I watched was the Sunday night game. And he was just flying all over the field. And the first time I noted, I said, who, who is this guy? I had to look him up. It was, it was Jonathan Freeney. Freeney from Rutgers. Yeah. And he, I mean, looked really sudden. He's, showed the ability to play sideline to sideline. Was an aggressive blitzer. I mean, made, flashed some plays this past weekend. Yeah, and he's actually sort of took over the spot from Gerard Mayo. Because even when Collins and Hightower were healthy, he would often be, if they played a, a base 4-3, which is not something they play a lot of, but when they did, he was the third linebacker, not Mayo. So he's kind of taken over. Now with the injuries, he obviously gets a ton of snaps, plays in relatively all the packages unless they have 7DB on the field. And I think he's flashed. I think he's played very well for them. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see this matchup, this, uh, this Eagles offense against this New England defense for a lot of different reasons. Talked about some of the matchups yeah. in the secondary. Won't be an easy matchup for the no, Eagles offense at all. Certainly is not. And we saw this uh, Detroit defensive line give them a lot of issues last week. Uh, this New England line is on par with that. Chandler Jones is long and athletic. Obviously, yeah. Ninkovich is not long and athletic. But he's one of those guys that every week you watch him, he knows how to play. He knows how to use leverage. He knows how to use his hands. He makes two or three or four impact plays every game. They may not be sacks, but they're impact plays. And, uh, you know, he's he's really fashioned quite a career for someone who uh, – was he drafted? I think he was a, he was a late-round pick. He was a day-three yeah. pick Yeah, from Purdue. So, yeah, no, no question. So, uh, it will be an interesting matchup. I, I, I'm sad that I won't be able to watch it with you here in the studio, but uh, we will have plenty of time to talk about it next week here on the Eagle Line in the Sky podcast. Greg Cosell, appreciate the time, as always, here on Chalk Talk. Thanks, Fran. More great stuff from Greg Cosell. Love having him here each and every week, and really, really interesting stuff about the New England Patriots. I know Greg loves watching uh, the New England Patriots each and every week and loves scouting Bill Belichick and what he does from a game plan perspective every week throughout the NFL season. But uh, before we get to the rest of the show, BT, you had a reprieve last week. Uh, It was a short week. What was the latest on iTunes? Uh, we got good comments. People are certainly uh, sending what they like, but we still need more. You know, it was obviously a short week. I know everybody was was into Thanksgiving and and, and whatnot, but 
Send in your comments. You never know. You might be the lucky one that's chosen. We're going to send out some uh, some swag, maybe a, a mini helmet of uh, signed stuff. So send in your comments. I, we, can, we can do better than mini helmet, too. Hey, I'm, it I, could I, be better. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm setting the bar low. The, but but <laughs> Under promise, over deliver. Ex, ex, I like it. Mike Tomlin. First thing, I, first thing I heard from him in the rookie symposium. <laughs> under promise, over deliver. Right. So worst case scenario, we'll get you something something to, uh, to help for your support and uh Keep sending your comments and, uh, and what you like in the show. Exactly, exactly right. It's the best way to support the podcast. Helps boost us in the rankings. Helps us know what you like and don't like about the show. Uh, and really just helps other people be aware of the podcast. So uh, any support you can give us would be great. Let's keep the ball rolling here. Again, I had a great conversation with Tony Dungy, former NFL defensive back awesome, and obviously uh, former Super Bowl winning head coach, about the Tampa 2 and the responsibilities from the cornerback position. Let's get to that conversation. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. So, coach, if you could, just, we'll just kind of go position by position here, and if you could just give you know a couple just general coaching points for each of these positions. I guess with the corners, you said you wanted some big physical guys that can reroute receivers at the line of scrimmage. Can you just talk about some of the general coaching points when you're playing Tampa two for those corners? Yeah, you're you're playing zone coverage. The corners are responsible for the flat uh, area. They're going to have to come up and make tackles in the running game and in, in the short passing game. So it's not the type of system that you can rely on just small cover corners. The guys have to be able to make tackles uh, and be physical and, and be part of the run run defense. Uh, but on the other side of the coin, sometimes a lot of people aren't looking for those type of guys, and we got players who people thought were a little bit uh, maybe not fast enough, not quick enough to, to play man-to-man coverage, and they ended up being being great players for us. Great stuff there from Coach Dungey, and I'm really, really excited. I, that was a part of a much larger conversation that is going to be I'll – give, I'll give that to you in the offseason – and it's all about the Tampa two scheme. So you may have heard a little bit there about just the the general team building aspect of of that position and, and really of that whole scheme. It's a part of a much larger conversation. There will be a chalk talk later in the off season, hoping to bring you guys a lot of interesting perspectives from around the NFL, around the country, uh, from analysts and former coaches, and former players, current coaches uh, as well. I'm hoping to bring into the mix. So. Uh, really excited about everything here on the podcast. That's what we call a tease in the business. Correct. So that's that's well done. And he's he's a great guy to listen to. Just he's a good conversationalist. Oh, so yeah. if you you know the all season, give yourself a little time. He'll he'll break down some schemes that you can definitely learn some stuff on. Yeah, and that that'll be the fun part. Is that my thinking is is you know when we roll that one out, we'll also have uh, an eagle eye in the sky print piece that mm-hmm. will completely break down the Tampa two scheme and Goes how along teams with use it, it right. you know, to go along with it. So it'll be a lot of fun. Hopefully you guys will be able to learn some, uh, some different. And the off season is nice when you can kind of decompress, get away from it and, and try to, you know, say, I'm going to learn one scheme, whether it's cover three or, you know, exactly. bubble screens, just give yourself some, uh, some more knowledge in the game. No question about it. So let's get to the rest of the show here. Let's wrap it up here. College football talk on Saturday scouting. It's time for Saturday scouting. Joining me this week on Saturday Scouting, we are going back to the well. My good friend from DraftInsider.net, Tony Pauline. Uh, Tony, I hope you had a good holiday. You, get, you gave fans a treat coming back from Thanksgiving. On Monday morning, you released your, your risers and sliders article, which is always full of good bits of info, both on how scouts feel about certain players either going up or down draft boards, but then also 
underclassmen that may be entering the draft, any uh, surprise invites, small school sleepers. It's always a great piece in it each and every week. So I wanted to start there this week and ask you about some of the players that you mentioned in the column. And I want to start with Ohio State linebacker Deron Lee, who's an underclassman. Uh, a lot of people, including myself, have seen a lot of similarities between him and the former first-round pick, Ryan Shazier. You, you named him as a riser. What have you seen from, from Lee, and what are scouts saying about him at this point in the process? Yeah, a little bit bigger than Shazier at, at comparable points in their playing career. Uh, but like Shazier, you know, explosive, a guy that plays sideline to sideline, a guy that's a three-down player. I think, you know, he kind of typifies why the scouts are very excited about this year's linebacker class. He's a space player. He's not just a guy that's uh, only effective in the box. He's someone that can get outside the numbers in coverage. He gets great depth on his pass drops. He's good against the run. He's effective when you ask him to blitz. I mean, he's really, it's just a matter of experience because he's uh, a redshirt sophomore. He's, he's going to need just more experience to physically mature and to play at a higher level of uh, competition. But he is basically a stud. He, he grades out as a potential first-rounder. I've been hearing since the beginning of the season he's going to enter the draft. A lot of teams really like him a lot, and I think justifiably so because, you know, I just pointed out the Michigan game, but really all year and even last year in 2014, he's shown himself to not only be a very good player but someone who's progressed each week, doesn't have a lot of mental mistakes, has gotten better in his all-around game, and comes with a large degree of upside. I want to stay with the linebacker position, Tony, because I feel like you, you mentioned it, that scouts are very, very high on this position group going into this draft, and that's because you've got, you've got guys like Lee. You've got Jalen Smith from Notre Dame potentially entering. You've got Reggie Ragland. You have Miles Jack, who has already declared. There are a number of top-end, blue-chip-type players, and so I feel like there are some names that could fall down further in the draft and teams could get really good value, and two of those guys, potentially Terrence Smith from Florida State, a guy that I really liked over the summer when I went back and watched the Seminoles, Big kid who can run and can do some different things downhill. And then Deion Jones, who has really come on this year, the senior from LSU. What have you heard from those two players specifically and how scouts grade them at this point? You know, Smith has moved up. I mean, he came into the season with a last day grade. But you look at his measurables, he's, he's almost 6'3 and a half. He goes about 235 pounds, runs a legit 4'6'5". It's just a matter of him playing to those measurables and playing up to his level of ability uh, on an every-down basis. Now, you know, as I said in the piece on the, uh, yesterday, did suffer an ankle injury, so he missed about four games this year. But he's really fi- finished the season off strong and ha- has given scouts a taste of that potential. It's just a matter, and I, I, I think with his with his measurables and his athleticism, you know, he should be a lot more than just a box player. You should be you should be able to put him on the outside in several different schemes. It's just a matter of, you know, can he play at a high level or can he play up to his potential and what's going on between the ears. I gotta assume a guy like Terrence Smith gets a senior bowl invite. And the senior bowl is just uh, it's important not only because of the days of practice when they're playing in an NFL system, but the interviews. And I know that scouts are going to ask him, you know, during those interviews, you know, why weren't you a star out there? Why weren't you more productive? Uh, the signs are good, and the arrow is pointing north on him. So uh, he, he, maybe he's just hitting his stride. Maybe he's just a late bloomer. Uh, Deion Jones, as you, uh, as you talked about, I mean, here's a guy who basically was a backup linebacker, entered the season with, 
what not even street free agent grades. I mean, the, the grades he was given was they didn't expect him to make make it out of May camp. But the guy has really improved his game and really elevated his play in all aspects. A little bit small. Only comes in uh, about six under six one, two hundred and twenty five pounds. But a guy who runs around the field, makes a lot of plays, is one of the better linebackers in the SEC. And you mentioned Reggie Ragland. I think with those measurables, he's a bit scheme specific. He's not going to be he's not going to be a player for every sort of defensive uh, system. But you're either going to put him on the inside of a uh, of a three four alignment, and uh, he's the type of guy that I think could go in the later rounds of the draft make it as an eighth linebacker, and really will have to earn his wage at the next level as a special teams player. Tony, you brought up one of my favorite quarterbacks in this, in this piece. But before we get to him, I want to stay in the linebacker position. And one of the underclassmen that really garnered a lot of attention coming into the year, and for obvious reasons, he's been a very productive player throughout his college career, has been uh, one of the defensive players of the year, even as an underclassman, as a redshirt sophomore, that's Arizona linebacker Scooby Wright. Injuries have been an issue for him this year, and he's missed a lot of time. Where do scouts grade him right now, and do you feel like he could enter the draft, even though that he didn't play too much this season? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, like you said, a very, very good college player. I just don't know that he projects all that well to the next level. Now, I know that his camp felt that he was going to be a first-round pick in August. And he, he was already uh, – what I was getting is once the 2015 season was over, he was going to enter the draft, and he expected to be a, uh, expected himself to be a high selection. You talk to scouts, they don't have the same feeling. I mean, he's a little bit undersized. He's not really a fast guy. He's more of a straight-line type of linebacker. He's a bit one-dimensional. And that sort of combination really does not bode well for the next level. Uh, I mean, is he just a two-down run defender that's barely 240 pounds? Uh, guys like that are not selected high in the draft. Uh, I know there was some uh, hope that he would play towards the end of the season. That's not come to fruition. I don't know if he's been knocked out uh, of consideration for the postseason uh, or, or bowl games if Arizona is invited. Uh, you know, the, the, the I have not heard anything definitive now. Uh, there, there is sometimes these injuries put scares into these guys, especially guys who think that they're going to go early. And I don't think Scooby Wright's going to go early. I think he's a mid to late round pick. But he could be thinking, you know, if I go back and I re-injure myself, you know, what are my next level chances? I I would expect to get more clarity on the Scooby Wright situation over the next couple of weeks. I've not really heard anything definitive. But, you know, I I think the, uh, the scouting assessment of the Scooby Wright, camp, uh, Scooby Wright camp is a lot different than what scouts are thinking, who believe he's more of a mid to late round pick. Although there is a there is a large variety of opinions, so there are some scouts who feel he can be a top one hundred choice. Tony, the last player I want to bring up from your risers and sliders piece, Indiana quarterback Nate Sudfeld, a guy that I really liked over the summer. Every time I went back and watched Tevin Coleman in the last draft process. Sudfeld always kind of stood out to me, flashed some NFL throws, showed the ability to throw with anticipation, has a good arm, showed good touch, a lot of different areas where I thought that he uh, really impressed me. I think that injuries have been an issue, but what are scouts saying at this point in the process? Do you think he's going to be a senior bowl quarterback? Uh, I think there's a good chance. I, I mean, the, the thing about it is they really don't play an NFL-type system. And, and for all the good things that you said about him, don't forget, he very much looks the part. I mean, he's a guy who's a legit six foot six. 235 pounds, can make all the throws. I think the concerns about him is, you know, it's more of an air attack 
at, at Indiana as, a pro, as opposed to a pro system. The injuries are a major concern. Uh, so there's a lot there that will raise red flags, but he's the type of guy that if he, if he can stay healthy and he can put it together as far as playing an NFL system, and he seems like a pretty smart kid. He's a pretty bright uh, guy on the field. Doesn't have a lot of mental mistakes. I think it was 25 touchdowns to five interceptions this year, which tells you something about his ability to read and make decisions. And he's always been very good in that department. You know, you could get a very good quarterback in that middle-round area in Nate Sudfeld. There are a lot of people who think that, you know, they talk about the Connor Cooks and they talk about the, you know, the Kesslers and, and the Hackenberg, or the Connor Cook and Hackenberg from the Big Ten. And this guy's kind of, you know, forgotten about in large part because there are times when he's not on the field because of the injuries. But, you know, injuries do heal. Is it a matter of the fact that he's just a fragile guy? Is it a matter of conditioning and, and, and preseason training and, and training uh, d- during the season that he can't stay healthy? The physical tools are there. I think the mental skill, the mental intangibles are also there. Be interesting to see. I think there's a good chance uh, you, we could see him in Mobile. Tony, you've been on this for a long time, but Georgia linebacker Leonard Floyd made it official this week, declared that he was going to enter the NFL draft. Here's my question for you, because I think it's, it's divisive when you look around the country and see how different services kind of rank Leonard Floyd. Some view him as I do, as one of the top edge rushers in this class, and others seem to rank him as a linebacker because he got moved inside this year and see him more of a st- as a stand-up guy, especially because you know he's in that 225, 235-pound range. Where do scouts see him, and where are you hearing Leonard Floyd could go off the board at this point in the process? Well, I think for the most part he's going to be a 3-4 outside linebacker. I mean, he, that's what he's done most uh, you know, it's not just that he, he stood up. If you watch his ability to make plays in space, to get out, out to the flanks in pursuit and, and run down ball carriers, I mean, he's an explosive guy. He's not just an up-the-field guy. So I, I think overall it's going to be, uh, or the consensus is going to be, he's going to be a linebacker, preferably in a 3-4 type system. Where is he? He's all over the board. And that's probably and that's in large part due to his inconsistent play. I mean, at times... He looks like a top 15 pick. He is that sort of impact on defense where he, he's making plays behind the line of scrimmage. He, he's running down ball carriers in space. He's making plays in coverage. Yet there are times where he just disappears for, for uh, series on end, and he's very streaky, which is, a, which is a big concern. So I think what's going to happen is I do grade him as a first-rounder. Where he goes in the first round I think will depend on two things you know, his, uh, his actual computer numbers and his workout times because not a lot is known about these underclassmen. Uh, he plays fast. He's very quick. I, I mean, he's not a guy who has to gather when he changes direction. He's able to, to alter his momentum, of, uh, his alter his angle of attack uh, w- with little effort and very smooth. I, I think the, the measurables are going to be and the, the workout times are going to be important, as are the interviews. You know, teams are going to uh, really going to, ask him and basically beat down on him as to why he disappeared for, for big stretches. I mean, there was talk uh, after, that he was going to enter the draft after the 2014 season, and there were points last year when I had him ranked as a top-ten player, and it kind of fell off the map at the end of the season. Scouts and teams are going to want to know why that happened, what the situation was. Was he unmotivated? Was he injured? Why did he just basically kind of, kind of stop playing and really were unproductive? That will dictate his draft stock. That will be a big determining factor in, his, in where he ends up uh, next April. 
All right, Tony, I want to wrap this up by asking you about two underclassmen receivers. First, Tyler Boyd, the wide receiver from Pitt. I, I see this kid, and I know his numbers aren't great. I know he's averaging under 10 yards a, ca- a catch this year in a Pittsburgh offense that has really struggled to move the ball. But every time I've watched him, I've, I've come away thinking that he's one of the most talented receivers in the country. And I see him personally as a first-round type talent. Do you think, first off, do you think he's going to declare? And at this point, where do you think NFL teams, where have you heard that scouts kind of view Tyler Boyd at this point? I'd be shocked if he doesn't declare. I mean, the word was before the season that this was it, and he would enter the draft uh, once the season is over. So I, I think it'd be a bigger surprise if he's not available in April's draft. As far as where he'll end up, you know, I agree with you. He, he's got great natural receiving skills. It's not just the ability to catch the ball, but it's the ability to find the open spot, to, to get free from, from the opposition, which is constantly focusing on him and, and double-teaming him because they know the ball is going to him, yet he's able to make catch after catch after catch. Uh, he's a first-round receiver talent. You just have to figure out, is he a first-round athlete? What's his high, you know, how, how tall is he? How fast is he? What's his vertical jump like? And, and you know, you hate, to say, you hate to get into that because it, it's football. It's not the Olympics. But when you're looking at a skill position like the receiver, uh, like the receiver spot, you, know, you want to have a good athlete there. So, you know, I go back to what I said with, with uh, Leonard Floyd. A lot's not, un- not known about the underclassmen when it comes to the measurables and the computer numbers. You know, a guy like Tyler Boyd, it's very important that when he declares, and I believe he will, he goes and he has a good workout. The faster he runs uh, at the combine and in pre-draft workouts, if he runs at the combine, and the better his numbers, the earlier he's going to go. I do believe uh, potential late first round for Boyd. Tony, one guy that you've been on top of is Notre Dame wide receiver Will Fuller. You, you reported er, very early this fall that he was likely to enter the draft. A lot of uh, news was made about it. He was confronted about it after a game and was asked, are you going to, to enter the draft? And he said, no, 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 he's going to stay at school. He wants to be at Notre Dame. Have you heard different things? Or do you think he's going to enter, or is he going to stay in South Bend? Yeah, I've heard a lot of different things. I've heard that, you know, to his credit, school is very important to Fuller. But the people I've talked to inside the league, my sources, as well as the Notre Dame sources, said they would be more surprised than not if Will Fuller is wearing a Notre Dame jersey next year. The consensus feeling, or the opinion is, when all is said and done and the smoke clears, Will Fuller will eventually enter the draft where he's likely to be, a, he's going to be a, a late first, early second round pick. Uh, the, the, the consensus is, you know, the belief is, is he's having a monster year. Why go back, risk injury or, or risk uh, reduced production? Uh, he likes school. He's a good student. Uh, give, that, give, him cre- uh, give him credit for that. But the more I talk to people, the more they believe, you know, but January 15th, uh, Will Fuller's name is going to be on that list of declared underclassmen for the 2016 draft. Tony Pauline, you are the man. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony Pauline. I appreciate the time here, as always, on the Eagles, Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We'll talk to you soon, Tony. Thanks for having me, Fran. Phenomenal stuff from Tony. Always interesting insight uh, when it comes to the NFL draft, and he is the best out there when it comes to breaking news, as you could tell from that interview where he talked about how he has the scoop on guys months before even they've made their own decision. Tony knows if a guy's declaring for the draft, 
before he even knows it. So Tony uh, knows. Tony knows. That should be a good hashtag. But uh, you know, we'll wrap this up. We had a few more Senior Bowl acceptances today. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's always interesting to getting you know, closer to that time. The third wave. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I forget exactly what the number is that they're up to now, but they got to be getting close to halfway there in terms of the roster. Very, very exciting times, and more names are coming out for the Shrine game and for the NFLPA Bowl as well. So really just starting to see how these players are getting slotted. Uh, so very, very interesting stuff. So we got, some, uh, we got some more guys that are declared, some guys you watched. Want to get your, your take on a, on a few names. Uh, okay. This is the guy we spoke about, and I'm, I'm interested to hear what you say now that you've really watched some tape on this guy. I watched some games the last couple weeks. Okay. Linebacker from – oh. Edge player. Yes, edge player. Yep. From Oklahoma, Eric, Eric Stryker. Stryker. Talk to me about him. All right, so here's the thing with Eric Stryker. Physically, there's a lot to like. Good athlete, very good athlete. Can drop in coverage, can bend the edge, has good flexibility, great acceleration, has great closing speed from the backside. My problem with Eric Stryker is, one, I'm not exactly sure what position he is because he's not a true edge guy because he's 6'2", I don't want to say he's 6'2", 225 or 230. I mean, he's built almost like a like an off-the-ball linebacker. He's smallish. He's small. He's, yeah. he's not even smallish. He's small. He's small. He's, he's small. small. Um, and I didn't always see the kind of urgency and the kind of effort that I would have liked to see from a guy that's going to play in the front seven. Uh, a guy that's going to be playing so close to the line of scrimmage, so close to the action in the run game. Uh, very often he's lined up over the slot. And he could do a lot of different things from a coverage standpoint that you want to see from a sub-package player. But I didn't see enough to say, like, oh, man, this guy's going to be a three-down player, play on base downs, and be able to hold up at the point of attack consistently. I didn't see a guy that consistently gr- gave great effort. While he had that closing speed on the backside, I didn't see the guy give great effort consistently from the backside. So I don't know. I mean, I, again, I, I like his ability. I think that we've talked about him on the – uh, on the Journey to the Draft podcast with C-Mac a, couple, a few times. Mm-hmm. And C-Mac had heard people compare him to a Von Miller in that, in just the way he's I used. don't think he's that big. I think no. Von Miller's got way more more stature and size to him. Sure, but... The, but and the, quickness. But yeah, and, and more so in, in terms of how he's used. you know. And so uh, you have a guy that... Uh, you know, plays as a as a, a strong side linebacker in a four three, but then on sub packages is able to to get after the passer, and you you kind of look at striker in the, a similar way. I don't know. I I, I have watched I want to say five or six games now total of striker two two from this year and three or four from last year, and I I haven't I haven't really felt really strongly about him just because there were some things that kind of bothered me with him. Well, I, I like that you go back and you're looking at previous years. Everyone kind of always, it's what have you done for me lately? Sure. What you've seen this year, you, you want to judge them all of that. You got to get a, a, a larger, a larger footprint. So, well, I always, I, I always like to see like you know because I'll watch them over the summer and in the off season and try and get a gauge before a guy uh, before we get into a senior year. You also want to see how much do guys change, how much do they improve, and some guys. Uh, I've watched and have said, well, wow, they've really gotten better from their ge- junior to their sophomore or senior year or their sophomore to their junior year. Other guys, not the case. It, yeah. So, and, and Stryker's one of those guys. Well, I watched, you know, I watched broadcasts, and it's why I don't always like watching the broadcast. But they're just—he's the heart of the team, and and you know, they're giving him—he might a, be a, a yeah, lot of a lot of praise, sure. a lot of compliments. But you're strictly looking at on the field. Do you, last question: Do you think he can drop? At all? Do you think he can play the pass oh, coverage? Oh, yeah, no, no question. So that's, the, that's probably that might be so he's the a strength tw- of his game. So he could be a tweener that you're you're 
there's all these freak athletes, you know, Julius Thomas's, the, the Gronks, you know. Right. I mean, is he a guy that can kind of play that inside area and maybe? I mean, I think that he would have to continue to refine his technique uh, in coverage. So, you know, does he have the foot quickness to be able to do it? Yeah, but I think that he still needs to refine his technique in coverage in terms of being able to get in and out of breaks, uh, how to hit pocket with receivers down the field, things like that. But definitely has the athleticism to hold up. Our big game this week for uh, Stanford offensive tackle Kyle Murphy uh, against uh, USC final yes. Trojans. Uh, what, can you, what can you tell me about Kyle? Uh, so Murphy, you know, I I wasn't expecting much coming in, but he he kind of impressed me. And he's going to the Senior Bowl, as you know. So now uh, I think he's got pretty light feet. I want to continue to watch him. I haven't watched a ton on him. I've only watched a game or two from this year. I didn't study him in the off season, so uh, I really have to get ahead on him. But uh, a guy that really impressed me. I, I think he plays with pretty good technique. Again, he's got solid feet. I think he's an NFL tackle. I want to see if he's a, a true high-level starter at tackle, though, and, that, and that's what I'll be interested to see. Well, he's definitely going to be a good, uh, a good defense in, uh, in USC, and obviously sure. what Clay Hilton's done to, to turn that, that program around. So. Love seeing the reaction from the USC team room. Oh, that was great when they when they, when they gave him the uh, yeah, that was, yeah awesome. that was that was awesome. That was awesome. I, it's almost similar when they give like a walk on a scholarship. I just it really those, was. Those it are was moments that are that. just those are really good. That was very good. That's a good analogy. A guy I've watched plenty of times. Best name, Daddy Nicholas. I mean, Daddy. I, I think he's, okay. Sorry, he's an edge player from Virginia Tech. Yes, I remember seeing this guy his freshman year, and I was he was a he's kind of reminds me of Floyd from from from, from Georgia. Georgia who declared to the draft. Yep. Um, just. But he's got an NFL body. I mean, he's he's a big kid. Yeah, and you know, I I think the big thing with with Daddy Nicholas is his athleticism is such a high level, and that's no question what his biggest strength is. And he's a high motor guy too. I'd like to see him get better with his hands, and there are certain things that, from a technique, technique standpoint, I'd yeah. like to see him get a little bit better. A little raw. Sure. The thing is, he's got the natural tools, and he, in a class that there aren't many guys with those tools, he's going to be a you know he's going to have a lot of value. So. Uh, very excited to see Nicholas down at the Senior Bowl because, again, you were there last year. What did I ask T.J. Clemmings? Who was the best player you went up against this year? T.J. Clemmings said, without a question, didn't even blink, said, Daddy Nicholas from Virginia Tech. That's one of my favorite questions asking guys. It, it always takes them a little bit of thought. They'll go, hmm. So it's always interesting to see who they thought was good and then how that person translates going forward. It also so. gives, gives me a heads up on some guys to who, watch, who to watch for, for the right. summer. No question. And then the uh, last guy I'll ask you about is an uh, offensive tackle from Georgia, uh, John Theus. What do you think about him? You know, I, th- I think Theus is a nice player. He he's been, I believe, a four-year starter. I'm pretty sure he's been a freshman at left tackle since his true freshman. Well, he has some year. good running backs too, so he's no question. You know, yeah, so he's had some guys to block for. He's, he's they they benefited off of his blocks. Yeah, I think he's more. I think he's more of a run a run blocker than he is a pass protector. Uh, he's got solid feet, but it, nothing to write home about. I think that uh, I think he's he's an NFL tackle, but kind of like Murphy. I think Murphy's better, Kyle Murphy from Stanford, but I. I want to see what is his starting upside, and, and more. And that's more from an athleticism standpoint. Uh, what can he offer there? But technician is you know n- not overly powerful at the point of attack, but again uses his hands pretty well. Uh, keeps his body in good position. I'm excited to see Theus in person. Yeah, a lot of lot of good names on this list. Uh, it'll obviously only keep growing. So uh, keep your keep your eyes out for that. And obviously, Fran will keep giving you the updates on guys. So no question. Uh, we'll, we'll see what we have uh, going up next week. Absolutely. So let's wrap this show up. Another week in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. I uh, appreciate all of you out there for listening. Thanks again to BT, to Greg, to Tony Dungy, and to Tony Pauline as well. Appreciate all of you guys as well listening at home, wherever you listen, whether it's on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, Google Play, iTunes, uh, your Android, whatever app that you use. And again, all you have to do is subscribe. Just go on and find that app. 
go on, hit subscribe, and it'll come to your phone each and every week. I appreciate everybody out there listening and for spreading the word. We'll be back here next week on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Have a good week.